episode one, the saga begins. This is our very first episode of the Nom Nom Paleo podcast. So what better way to begin than by telling you how we got started with Nom Nom Paleo? We'll also introduce you to our regular segments on the podcast, including what we ate, the main course, crush of the week, and the question of the week. So let's go. Welcome to our program. This is the Nom Nom Paleo Show with Michelle Tam and Henry Fogg and the Double O's. Join us as we go behind the scenes and reveal how we make a real food lifestyle fun, sustainable, and nomtastic. We're the food nerds behind Nom Nom Paleo, the award-winning food blog, app, and cookbook. And we're also the parents of two growing boys, Big O. Hello. And Lilo. Hello. Hi. Hi. Whatever. And they're the reason we do what we do. So here's the part where we talk about our favorite and tastiest bites of the week. So for me, I'm just excited that strawberries are back in season in California. And I guess some people would argue that strawberries are never out of season in California. But I think officially they're back at the farmer's market and they're good. Yeah, I've noticed that they've started popping up in our kitchen again. That's right. I've been buying a lot of them. And I have a tip for everybody out there. The best way to store your strawberries is you should put them in like a sealed Tupperware container, either glass or, you know, plastic if that's what you have. But you line it with paper towels and you put your strawberries in a single layer. You put another layer of paper towels on top and then seal them and they will be good in your refrigerator for almost two weeks. There are times when you you buy fresh strawberries and they look delicious, but then like within two days you get strawberry mold and it's all destroyed. This is the way to keep your strawberries fresh for up to two weeks. I think my problem with strawberries in the fridge is I never see them. Probably because they are tucked away inside a Tupperware covered with paper towel. (laughs) But now you know. I see them in there and I'm thinking like there's got to be something in there, but I am too lazy to even pop open the lid to see what's under there. Oh, so that's why I'm the one that always has to wash and cut and serve everybody the strawberries, huh? Uh, Yeah, that's probably it. (laughs) One of the things that I noticed that you have in the fridge right now is vanilla almond milk. And I love strawberries with vanilla, so... One of the things that I think I'm going to be doing is popping some strawberries into a bowl with a splash of vanilla almond milk. Yeah. Sometimes I make homemade, but when I don't, there is a local brand that I think it is super local. It's called Three Trees. They make my favorite super thick. I mean, I guess not super thick. That sounds gross, but it is a very, it's not a watery (laughs) almond milk, Um, but it's really, it's really good. That to me is like a treat. We will pour it over strawberries or I'll do a little shot glass of it. Or I like strawberries with balsamic vinegar. A good aged, syrupy balsamic vinegar is like the perfect compliment. I remember when you used to think that was disgusting. I did. And all I did, all I used to eat strawberries with before was sugar. Like I'd always get a bunch of beautiful strawberries from the farmer's market and I'd cut them up and I'd coat them with sugar and I'd let them macerate because I didn't think that they were sweet enough, which now I find crazy. But that back then, like it, it really wasn't sweet enough. <laughs> well, I do remember reading in the Flavor Bible, which is a really fantastic kitchen resource, that sugar does bring out the strawberry essence of strawberries, but so does citrus juice. So you could put a little bit of lime juice on it or something, and it really brings out that strawberry flavor too. 
Yeah, or, you know, it's just a nice excuse so that people, when, when they see it in the flavor bar, I was like, oh, yes, I can just cover my beautifully ripe, red, delicious strawberries <laughs> with a ton of sugar. And it's okay because this book says it's okay. I really do like it with aged balsamic. I think strawberries in salads are really great, especially during the summer. I happen to like strawberries with balsamic vinegar and black pepper. I know that you're not a big fan of the black pepper combination. That is true. You always like to mix fruit and savory things, which that's something that I recently have become okay with, but you've always been okay with that, which I always thought was... Well, you like salt on your watermelon. No, I don't. You don't? My parents do. Oh, that's right. I, I think it's disgusting. And I probably tell you about how they like to put salt on their fruit, but I think it's gross. And never salt your <laughs> strawberries, by the way. Yeah, that's that's unless you do it by mistake. If you are like grabbing for your white refined sugar to put all over your strawberries, if you if you grab your salt, maybe that is a good lesson. You shouldn't be putting sugar on it either. <laughs> Henry, what is your favorite thing that you've eaten this week? The thing that I ate this week isn't something new. It's just interesting because it was something that our youngest son, Lilo, started eating that surprised me. So recently I attended my cousin Rainey's wedding and I went with Lilo or Oliver because Big O was homesick and you stayed home with him. So, you I know, know I was, for the team. I know. We, we, were, we were both really sad that we missed the wedding because, you know, the cool thing about this wedding was that they were serving Indian food at a Chinese wedding. And so I was really looking forward to <laughs> having an Indian buffet for dinner. And we've loved Indian food forever. I was actually racking my brain and, and trying to remember the first time I had Indian food. And I, I can't remember at all. I know I ate tons of it in high school, tons of it in college. We ate a lot of Indian food when we were in London because it was one of the more affordable cuisines and, and definitely very prevalent mm -hmm. all over London. And my mom swears that the best Indian curry is found in Hong Kong. But I think she always says a lot of things, the best She of thinks whatever. the best of whatever is in Hong Kong. So. <laughs> yes. Um, well, we've had good Indian food in Hong Kong, and, mm -hmm. and certainly we've had insanely good Indian food in India. When well, I've, you have. I've never been to India. In India, I've had some really fantastic mutton and kebabs and, and other dishes that are fantastic. But what's funny is whenever I would be in India, my Indian colleagues would ask me if I wanted to order pizza or sandwiches for lunch, and I'd look at them like they were out of their minds. But they would say, hey, we thought you might miss the foods from home, which always made me chuckle because the food back home was often Indian food. Uh, in our neighborhood, all the families are Asian and Southeast Asian, and I happen to eat Indian food at our company cafeteria more than once a week, yeah, probably and I think, more than three times a week. And I think people think that Indian isn't necessarily paleo, but I definitely think there are lots of really great paleo choices. I think there's a lot of really great cooked vegetable curries. There's a lot of great cooked meat. I mean, even if you are having South Indian, you can at least eat gluten-free because a lot of things are naturally gluten-free, like doses are gluten-free. I don't know so much that there's a ton of protein, <laughs> but you know, a lot of the seafood curries, you know, in South Indian cuisine are paleo friendly and they use a lot of coconut. I mean, that's, I think what we do is we find cuisines that we like and we still try to figure out what we can eat that will make us feel good. There are certain cuisines, which I think that's almost impossible. Like I, I do think Chinese food is really hard. Even to eat gluten-free at a Chinese place is really difficult. 
But Indian, I think, is pretty easy, especially now that we do eat white rice once in a while. I love Indian food. So back at this wedding, the best thing about having Indian food was that Lil O, who isn't known for being particularly adventurous about his food choices, actually got in line with a plate, tucked into a big pile of chicken makani, and enjoyed the heck out of it. I mean, this is a kid who will tell you that all he wants to eat day and night is scrambled eggs. So it was really kind of funny and eye-opening to see that he really enjoyed Indian food. So I'm hoping he'll start young and love Indian food as much as I've enjoyed Indian food my whole life. So I wonder how that happened at this wedding. I wonder if it was because he was with a bunch of his favorite cousins and they were all eating all that food. And if that was kind of something like, huh, if they are trying it, maybe I will try it as opposed to us saying, hey, this is something really delicious. You should try it. I mean, I'm wondering if that's what worked. Or it's the fact that he knew dessert was coming and he wasn't going to get any unless he ate some food. Yeah, that could be it too. The main course. So since this is our first episode, it's probably fitting to talk about how I turned paleo. And it really is because of Henry. So thank you, Henry. You're welcome. So if we turn back the clock, it all began about five, six years ago when our younger son had just turned two. And I think we were finally getting good enough sleep, like maybe six hours. Like back then, we're like, whoa, six hours <laughs> is like fantastic sleep. Amazing. And then we're like, oh, maybe we should actually think about getting fit. Getting healthy. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we thought we were getting a decent amount of exercise before the kids were born. We used to go to the gym a lot. You went to the gym a lot. Yeah, I went to the gym a lot. We have a gym that's uh, that's just a few blocks away from our house. And uh, I used to run over there uh, quite a bit. And and then I just stopped because we had kids and we had other responsibilities. And, and we just didn't do that anymore. But I think as soon as our younger son turned two, we were like, we can't feel this old. We aren't that old. I mean, we are kind of. But I mean, we're not that old. But I had this total muffin top and I, I think we we're like, no, we have to get in shape. Yeah. And we thought we were already eating pretty healthy because we were vegetarian and mostly vegetarian, mostly vegetarian. Yeah. We ate a lot of beans, a lot of soy, a lot of whole grains, low fat for sure. You know, all the healthy stuff. Yes. I mean, it was all stuff that we were told was healthy. Right. And I remember every Monday night you would email me at work and tell me to pick up a macrobiotic meal from some church in downtown Palo Alto where I guess every week there was a macrobiotic society that would cook up meals. You know, I still think that was pretty tasty, but I was never full. I think I was really hungry afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I became a regular. All I know is that I would go pick up my food and they would know exactly who I was. But I think that the whole point was I I felt totally blah. And, and, and at this time, I was still, you know, I was in the middle of working nights still. And I was like, you know, I need to get in shape and I need to get rid of this muffin top. And then we we both decided that we probably didn't have enough time to go to the gym all the time. So we bought DVDs to work out. Or in you our bought DVDs. You were the first one to get started with was DVDs. Was I the first one? You were because we still had this old elliptical machine that we had in our garage. And I would just put a magazine, like a all the old New Yorkers that I hadn't finished reading, I would just stack them next to the elliptical. And I'd get on there and I'd chug away. And I remember once you were exercising like crazy to one of these, I don't know, was it like a Shaleen Extreme video so. or something? And you looked over at me and you were like, you're not even sweating. You need to do something a you little bit. You need to do bit. these hit exercises just like me. 
what does HIT stand for? I think like high intensity training. High intensity interval training. Yeah, or something. Right. Yeah. And I thought, well, I guess you're right because even though I was getting a ton of reading done, which was fantastic, uh, I really was not breaking a sweat. So I remember that night I went on Amazon and I went over to look at the best selling or top rated exercise DVD video collections. And the one at the top of the list was P90X, which I had never heard of before. I had not seen the P90X infomercials that apparently were on all the time. I think they still are on all the time. I, I don't I don't even know. But I was instantly hooked. I mean, I, I got those uh, DVDs in the mail. I popped them in and I was very, very diligent about doing my nightly P90X crazy exercises in the garage. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And I I was so hooked that I started getting kind of obsessive about the people in the videos because you end up spending a couple, not just a couple of hours a week, five or six or seven hours a week watching these same people work out and working out alongside them. So I went on Google and started doing some crazy PI stuff. Right. And you also started writing about it on your blog. That's right. Um, and it was immensely entertaining. Like I got to get on the phone with a couple of the the people on P90X. Pam the Blam was somebody I interviewed. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, I found out that one of the women who appeared in the P90X videos, the German potato soup lady, was also moonlighting as an adult film actress. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. like we saw any of those movies. No, never. Yes. And uh, and the most interesting thing that came out of that was seeing that this guy, Mark Sisson, was the guy who who developed all the supplements and blends and bars and, and drinks that came along or were sold along with the P90X program. Yeah. And then I think you started doing some digging and you discovered that he had a new venture called Mark's Daily Apple. And you thought his approach to eating real food made a lot of sense. Yeah, it was kind of crazy because at first I saw it, I looked at it, and I think you and I both looked at it and laughed because we just thought, hey, how could you not eat heart-healthy whole grains? How could you give up all of these things that everybody is saying is so wonderful for you? But then I think at the same time, we're like, but how is this guy who's like at the time, I think he was in his late 50s. How does he have like this eight pack? And he's on this paddleboard. So, I mean, I think we're like, this is all made up. This is like, it's, it's all scam. It's all been photoshopped. And it makes no sense because it goes against everything that we've ever been taught. And, you know, I was the one that had like a nutrition and food science major. You know, I work in a hospital. I see what we're supposed to be eating. Yeah. And yeah. it went against everything that you had learned as a nutrition and food science major. So I totally discounted it. Right away. Yeah, and I think it was different for me because I have, A, I don't have a science background, so I'm I'm more than willing to jump into just crazy uh, dietary or nutritional stuff at a whim. I mean, when you said, hey, go pick up some macrobiotic food, I was like, all right, I don't even know what that means, but I'll go pick it up and try it out. And so when it just meant going paleo for or primal for a little while, I thought, hey, I can jump into this. I, oddly enough, have never been a fan of pasta or breads in the first place. So it made I it don't really even easy. understand how that's possible. It is possible. There are people like me. I, I think the difference is, and when you said that, you know, you didn't have the science background, I actually think that that was a huge, in some ways it was like a huge hindrance to me because I, I feel like the way I was raised was you're taught one thing, you memorize it, and that is like the rule. You don't really question it. I was like the best test taker because I am really good at memorizing. 
and I would just ace stuff, but then poof, it would be out of my brain. I talk about this with our kids. I'm like, you know, I was a really great test taker, but what's more important is that you actually understand and you remember and you can apply the things that you learn. It's not memorizing and regurgitating. Yeah, and <laughs> it's funny because I'm I'm interviewing candidates for uh, a position on my team at work right now. And one of the questions I've been asking people is, are you a blank sheet of paper person or are you a spreadsheet person? And it's one of these like stupid questions that I pulled from some interview book. But I actually think that it's interesting because if I were to a- answer that question for myself, I'm clearly not a spreadsheet person. You know, I'm not either, but it's only because I don't know how to use spreadsheets. <laughs> Going back to that, I think that's the whole thing is that I've always been taught a certain thing and I think that that I'm being taught accurate information and that's what you should kind of blindly follow and in the last five years I think I've totally changed my thinking and one of the big things is back when I would we would eat mostly vegetarian and a bunch of whole grains and a bunch of soy I never thought about how I felt and just realizing that now I don't have all of the baseline complaints that I used to always have and take for granted as being normal for myself. Yeah. And and that's sort of how I felt when I jumped in. I jumped in, but I, I wouldn't say I was 100%. I would say I was probably about 80%. The other 20% was, uh, the, frankly, the meals that you were cooking for me because you made really, really butt-kicking pizza. And I would get home from work. It was to work. sabotage you. <laughs> That's what you say. But it is true. I didn't really know it at the time. I think I just came home and I thought, oh, she made pizza. I love this pizza. I'm <laughs> going to eat this pizza. And so I was 80% paleo. At work, I was definitely keeping on the straight and narrow. And then I'd get home and there would be this glorious, you know, pizza at home that would come out of the oven. And you would say, well, this is what we're having for dinner. I Um, can make you boiled chicken breast and broccoli if you would like. And who wants that? (laughs) (laughs) So I was 80% paleo, 20% pizza. Anyway, so how did you, so once you went on board, because you definitely went on board several months before I did, and I was resisting and I was sabotaging you. So how, how did you get me on board? I didn't really have a rule in mind and I didn't really have an approach to try to get you onto paleo. All I knew was that I could not thrust it right into your face and say, you have to go paleo because after being with you for over 20 years, the one thing I do know is that you are at heart a contrarian. You mean just like my mother? I would never, I would never (laughs) ever say that you're just like your mother, but I will say that you're a contrarian and that if I were to... (laughs) tell you to put on a jacket before going out of the house because it was freezing cold, you would probably make it a point. I would strip down to a tank top. Yeah, that's probably For sure, even though it's super cold. And then you would give me this look as you were walking out the door, like, this is what I'm going to do because you told me to put on a jacket. So actually, I think that I got that from my grandfather. So Hmm. it's not my mother. I love you, mom. It's probably from my paternal (laughs) grandfather who I grew up with. But I think this is really great advice for people because so many people, as soon as they try paleo and they find that they feel so much better, they immediately want to convert all of their friends and family that they love because they know that if all they do is change what they eat, they will feel so much better. 
and all these kind of things that they complain about will go away. This is a really important story that you can't, you can't try to convince people to go paleo. You kind of have to make them come to that realization themselves or at least make them think that they've come to the realization themselves right because i think most people when they start going paleo are so excited about all of the health benefits how great they feel their body composition changes they feel fantastic and they just want to shout it from the heavens but everyone around them thinks of them more as the sort of crazy person in Times Square standing on an upturned bucket, waving Times their arms Square, around. this is like Berkeley, like Sproul <laughs> Plaza. Yeah, but I mean, people look at you and think, you're crazy and you're just proselytizing to me and I'm just going to walk right past you. And if it was Sproul Plaza in Berkeley, you know, somebody would come from behind you and kick the bucket out from under. Right. And I think food, food is just such a personal choice. Like when you start questioning what people are eating, like it, people take it very personally. Yeah. And I knew you would actually take it pretty personally yeah. because of your nutrition uh, background. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to do this thing over here and I will secretly and subtly try to try to nudge you in this direction. I would leave Rob Wolf's book or Mark Sisson's book on your nightstand. Or you'd, oh, le or because... you'd leave it in the bathroom and I would pick it up when I was in the bathroom. Right. Because the bathroom <laughs> is the best place for reading. It we really, all know that. It really is. Yeah. That's what we call the library. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I would just try to seed it a little bit, but I would never directly say to you, hey, Michelle, you should check this out because I'm feeling so, so fantastic or so great. But I do remember you did feel so great. And I remember you immediately dropped all this weight and you got a six pack right away, which is totally not fair. I think men have this phenomenon a lot more readily than women do. <laughs> well, I was also exercising like crazy because remember, I was still doing this P90X yeah. craziness, right? And but you felt so great and you're like, you know, I think I'm going to try CrossFit and I think I'm going to do this and I'm going to start. And I was like, whoa, like, because I remember you could never do a pull-up or maybe you could like do one. But then after like eating this way and then, you know, doing P90X, you could do all of these pull-ups and I, you know, actually one thing for me is you have to take these before and after pictures for a lot of these exercise DVDs like, oh, this way you can see what you look like before and after. It's not like you share, like I would never share with anyone, but I remember I took a picture of myself before and after while I was doing like this, I think it was probably like a 30 day or 60 day thing and I didn't look any better. And I remember thinking, what? How? I thought you looked better. Well, that's very nice of you to say. See, but that's that's the husbandly thing. It say. is, but it I I didn't, and I actually could see in these pictures because I remember you were like, "Look at the difference in me," and I was, "Yeah, look at that." And then when I looked at my own before and after, there was like no difference. And if anything, I felt probably puffier because I was like working out like crazy, eating the same kind of low fat, high fiber foods, but I was probably so hungry because I was working out so hard and my cortisol was probably super elevated. It just wasn't working. And I, I remember I also had a body bug at the time. So I was making sure that I either had the same amount of calories or less, right? So I'm, I wasn't even overeating. I was probably just hungry all the time. It wasn't working. I think finally, when we were on that family cruise in Alaska, I just decided to do it. I mean, I was trapped on a boat. I was trapped on a boat. And you were trapped on a boat with plenty of food. Right. I was trapped on a boat with plenty of food. With more different types of bread and pasta than you could possibly imagine. Yeah, I actually remember there was a wall of bread. 
I'm not even so sure if I went completely. I think I did go completely. You paleo. went cold turkey. Here's yeah. the thing about you. I went 80-20 when I first started going paleo. You went 110 to the point where I think when we first when we first left on the cruise, the port was in Seattle, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was a bakery before we got on the the boat that you passed. And you were all about the bakery, the smells of the bakery, the every bakery. I think every every, every place we visit, I was like, oh, we have to visit this bakery. Right. And you were all about the bakeries before we left Hort. By the time we got back, you were like, I don't want anything to do with that, uh, which I thought was amazing. It was just such a stark difference where it wasn't even like, oh, I'm going to go there. I'm going to eat less at the bakery or I'm just going to pick up one or two things. It was suddenly like, I am not looking at that stuff. Well, you know, the thing is, I don't think I can do that. You're like, very binary when it comes I, to this I stuff. am. And again, that is something that I think I've inherited from my paternal grandfather. Because I have heard this story about how he used to smoke cigars every day and smoke pipes. And he also would have a brandy with dinner. And one day I think he went to the doctor. Or this is after he had an ulcer. And boom, he just stopped everything cold turkey. I've inherited all the orneriness of my paternal grandfather. Yeah, who I actually I, I actually greatly admire. I think that... <laughs> just talked a little bit ago about how people shouldn't proselytize as much as they do upon becoming paleo, but you you didn't really live that. Yeah, and I think that's how I learned my lesson because I think as soon as I did it, I felt so great. I wanted to make everybody around us paleo, you know, like our parents and my sister and our friends. And I think finally one day my sister was like, you know, you need to quit this. You are acting so annoying. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> and and I was really like shocked. I was like, ah, how, how can she say this to me? I'm just doing it for her own good. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that came out of my mouth. And from then on, I was like, you know what? She's totally right. I can't shove this into people's faces. Instead, I will put it up on the internet. And if they want to find it, they can find it and they can try it out for free. And that's kind of how we've gone from there. We really have continued that approach because I know that when we go out to eat with friends or even people that we don't know very well, we never really bring it up. Mm -hmm. And I think this is also a good time to kind of talk about what we consider paleo. Because I think that there's a lot of different definitions of paleo out there. Some people are like, well, how come you eat this? That's not paleo. Or how can you say that this is paleo? Why is this in your recipe when, you know, definitely the caveman didn't eat it? But I think for sure we are not trying to reenact what the caveman ate. If anything, we are just trying to be healthier versions of ourselves. I actually think the caveman label makes this all sound like a weird fad diet. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people out there think of it as a weird fad diet because they just see caveman and they they get turned off immediately. Mm -hmm. And while it is a great mascot, I think it's a great shorthand for describing a more ancestral approach to eating. We really aren't trying to replicate how cavemen live their lives or, or ate. So, I mean, a few paleo diehards do approach their diets this way, but... In our minds, there's no one definitive monolithic approach to eating in a paleo manner that is one size fits all. Yeah, and I think it's really important to find out what works out for you. 
And I think everybody has different ancestry, different genes, and there are different foods that are worth it foods for them that they want to keep in their lives, you know, that have a special relevance. And so you, you just have to find the things that work for you. I think that we are constantly trying to evolve our knowledge about what makes us healthy. And so if we find out new foods, like new Neolithic foods, uh, make us healthier or new things, new techniques and, and new lifestyle changes make us healthier, we're going to try them because we're not going to be stuck with like a certain definition. Right. Because if we went by the purest definition, all we would be eating is mammoth meat and bugs. Yeah. And, and dirt. dirt. So I think in the end, all we try to do is to prioritize eating whole, processed, uh, unprocessed. unprocessed. <laughs> yeah. Probably not processed. But we prioritize eating whole, unprocessed nutrient-dense, nourishing foods that make us feel more healthy than not. Yeah. And when we do off-road, we're mindful about our choices. So there. That's it. (laughs) Crush of the week. Okay, Ollie, what is your crush of the week? What kind of eggs? Scrambled eggs. Tell me all about scrambled eggs. Well, they're really good, and they eat them every day. And I only, I like them, like, cold and hot. I don't really care. And my mom always forces me to eat them every day. Probably not in the summer, though. (laughs) And after school, if I didn't finish my lick, I have to eat it, no matter what. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Mom, you hearing this? <laughs> so, Bigo, what's your crush of the week? My crush of the week is 1,000 Foods to Eat Before You Die by Mimi Sheraton. Really? That's kind of my crush of the week, too. Really? Can you, can you describe what it is? So, it's this book where they um, catalog by every country, and they show like all the types of food from that country that you should probably eat before you die. Yeah, so Mimi Sheraton is this, you know, she's like a world-famous food writer. I actually met her very, very briefly when we, when I did my talk at Cherry Bomb Jubilee, and that was probably one of the most exciting celebrity encounters that I'd, I'd ever had because I, I love her writing. I think she she's, has like this really great encyclopedic knowledge of food, and, and that's what she has in this book is that she has all of these different dishes and, you know, restaurants that you should try before you die. So that's what we're going to do. We should mark off things in that book that we like, and then maybe we can go travel there. Yeah. So Henry, what's your crush of the week? My crush of the week is... Me! (laughs) Yes, it's you. Actually, it's three different websites. Uh, Sorry, Michelle. Aw. That helped us get this podcast off the ground. So the first is podcastanswerman.com. Uh, the second one is Dan Benjamin's podcastmethod.co and then also lynda.com. We'll link to all three in our show notes. But for the longest time, you, Michelle, you've wanted to start a podcast. And I think I've just been sort of lazy and busy and had no idea, frankly, how to get one off the ground until you started texting me links to these websites so that I could read up on it in my scads of free time and figure out how to get this this thing rolling. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Henry is kind of the technical 
plus design wizard behind everything Nom Nom Paleo. So I don't know how to do anything technical. And and frankly, Henry doesn't know how to do that much more technical <laughs> than me, but he's I, really good at Google. Like, I think you're the master I'm of not, Googling. I'm not good at Google. I just will actually Google. <laughs> no, I'll Google I'll... too. You know, I think the difference is I'll Google and then I'm like, oh, that's just too much to read. So you, and then you I just don't send the it. links to me. I do. I'll send the links to you. I'm like, oh, Henry can figure this out. So I think you're actually good at Googling. I'm just good at actually <laughs> reading what you send to me. You're good with follow through. That I mean, that probably makes sense. I think that is our personalities too. Like I come up with things and then you follow You're the through. blue sky thinker and I'm the execution guy. Maybe. <laughs> well, it worked out because in about two weeks time, we went through, listened to a lot of actual podcasts. I think you like the uh, Pat Flynn podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart Passive Income is a really great, informative podcast for anybody who has their own business or is just an interested and you know starting some sort of online business and i just read through the uh the faqs and equipment lists and started getting on amazon and and buying microphones and stuff so that we could do this i frankly have no idea what we're going to be doing on this podcast going forward but so far so good yeah and you know we welcome feedback so if there's any suggestions or things that you want us to talk about, please let us know. Because we clearly don't know what we're doing. Yeah. And you can totally reach us all sorts of ways, like, you know, at nomnompaleo.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. That's all me. So if you send me a note, I will see it. Yeah. It would really be great if it wasn't just you and me. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I'm hoping. I'm hoping that we can expand it just a little bit. Yeah. Maybe the kids will want to join our, yeah. our little company. Time for question of the week. This question comes to us from a reader who emailed Michelle after getting her weekly newsletter, which you can sign up for by visiting nomnompaleo.com. Suzanne asks, Michelle, I have a hard time trying to figure out how to make my budget stretch and still get the spices and seasonings that will make the most difference in my cooking. What are your go-to seasonings? Oh, there's so many, but I think we should just focus on a few things. I keep a few things right on my kitchen counter next to the stove. And I even took a picture of it on Instagram. So if you want to go to Instagram.com slash nomnompaleo, you can scroll back and there's a picture of what I have right next to the stove. First of all, I always have red boat fish sauce. That is my favorite liquid umami seasoning. So you just put a little bit in anything and it'll make everything taste better. My younger son loves scrambled eggs, so I put a little bit of red boat fish sauce and a little bit of kosher salt, and that makes it taste delicious. And so that's my second thing, is I also use kosher salt. I always have it in a little ramekin on the counter, because that way I can grab it and pinch it. And I love Diamond Crystal brand, just because I, I know by touch how much salt is enough. I think my mom used to tell me that. Like, I was like, oh, how much are you putting in? She's like, I just know by feeling. That's exactly what she sounds like. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how I sound now. I remember when I first started cooking, I was like, how can you just know by feeling? And I would always oversalt or undersalt. But the beauty of Diamond Crystal kosher salt is it's such big crystals that it's hard to oversalt. Whenever you oversalt, that's when you ruin things. I know that you use both kosher salt and red boat fish sauce. Mm Mm-hmm. But I know also that fish sauce tends to be salty on its own. So how do you know how much to use and and whether you should use one over the other? You know, 
with the red boat, I think you just have to be very judicious with it. So I will just put like a little, a little bit, and then I'll finish salting with salt. Is that because it'll taste too fishy otherwise? Or, or yeah, it-, it can. It can. I think there are certain dishes where you can kind of go heavier with the fish sauce. Like um, what? Like pho. Pho, you, when you make pho broth, which is the traditional beef Vietnamese beef noodle soup, you you use quarter cup, at least in my recipe. So you use a measurable amount. And then there are also like some chicken wing recipes, like the pok pok chicken wing recipes that aren't paleo at all. But are delicious. But are delicious. They use a lot of fish sauce and like sugar, like palm sugar and some other spices to balance it out. But normally fish sauce, I think, is just kind of an accent because too much is too overpowering. And so besides the fish sauce and the kosher salt, I always have a pepper mill because I think freshly ground black pepper perks everything up. I always have ghee on the counter because that is what I I use for most of my high temperature cooking. And why don't you explain what ghee is for anybody who doesn't know? So ghee is clarified butter and it is the Indian version of clarified butter. How it's different from like the traditional French clarified butter is that when you are melting the butter and you let the milk solids drop to the bottom, which you're eventually you're going to filter those out. So it's just the pure fat. They actually let the milk solids brown a little bit to give it a deeper flavor. And you can make it yourself. I have a recipe on my blog and, and in my book. But a lot of times I just buy it. And I buy it from a guy in New Jersey named Sandeep Agarwal. And just has, a guy in New Jersey. This guy in New Jersey. He has this company called Pure Indian Foods, and I just think they make really great ghee. The quality of their dairy is unmatched. I think they get it from a local Amish farmer, and they only use the milk from when the cows are eating the grass when it's the lushest. So This it, sounds like a sketch out of Portland. It does. It does. <laughs> and that's why I feel, I feel good supporting this guy. But I think there are lots of other great ghee companies. This is just one that I like and I've met him and I think he's a cool guy. And then I think another comment I got on my Instagram about this picture I had was like, are you sure you can put the fish sauce on the counter and the ghee on the counter? And I think so. I think ghee is actually stable on your counter for up to like three months. Um, And we use up a big jar of ghee way before three months I know, is expired. really fast. And then the red boat fish sauce, I think it can be kept in the fridge, but I use it so often that it, it's fine on the counter. And then besides that, I also love magic mushroom powder, which is my all-purpose seasoning. It's a psychedelic. It's, no, it's not. So basically it is portini mushrooms that have been pulverized, kosher salt, some dried thyme and some red pepper flakes and basically it's like powdered umami i think one thing that i always need to stress about magic mushroom powder is it's a salt substitute it is not like just a dry rub that you just use indiscriminately you use it like you would use salt because it's mostly salt and so when people say oh my gosh it's so salty i'm like that's because it's It's salt." salt yes it's a flavored salt the recipe for magic mushroom powder can be found on nomnompaleo.com as well. Just do a search. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's in our book. I mean, it's, I love it. It's like my favorite seasoning. So that's it for this week. This podcast was recorded and produced at Nom Nom Paleo World Headquarters also known as the dining room in our house. 
located in the heart of Silicon Valley, 50 feet from Jeremy Lin's parents' house. The Nom Nom Paleo theme song is by Mark Bartels, with additional music by Big O and Politaire. This podcast is supported by Thrive Market, our favorite online destination for wholesome products at wholesale prices. Pay one low membership price and you can shop from over 3,000 healthy, natural products, always 25 to 50% off retail, delivered straight to your door. Right now, if you go to nomnompaleo.com thrive, you'll get two months free membership at Thrive Market and an additional 20% off your first order. If you like this podcast, we have two favors to ask. First, you can visit us at nomnompaleo.com for show notes, and you can also find hundreds of step-by-step recipes, kitchen tips, snarky writing, and more. We also have an iPad app and a cookbook. More information at nomnompaleo.com. And last but not least, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get a sense as to what you like. Join us again next week for more Nom Nom Paleo podcast. Ciao for now.